0: you. Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the 459th show of ROI. And our guest for today's show is Don Elder, retired U.S. Army colonel. And we're going to be talking about perspectives on the war in Ukraine. The history bus for today's show are Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Sapp Sapital. And our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. So to begin, welcome back to the show, Don. <laughs> Thank
1: you. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really honored to be here. Well, Appreciate. we are
0: excited to have you here, because this is certainly a topic that is uh, in everybody's mind. And um, so whatever... Uh, Whatever insights you can share and whatever conversation we can have I think will make all of us feel a little bit better. So in that vein, our first segment is called Farouk Danarin and what we really are trying to do is give our listeners a little bit of background. So to the extent that you can, can you talk about some of the basic information uh, dealing with military issues that is at play in the war in uh, Ukraine at the moment?
1: Wow, that's a that's a that's a big challenge, but uh, I'll 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 do my best on that. You you're right. You have picked the topic that dominates all others right now. I don't care where you are. Uh, I guess I'd start by saying that I'd want to make clear I make I don't envy our national leaders, political military at all, as they try to formulate a winning response to this aggression by the Russians. Nothing's clear cut or easy. And the stakes are unimaginably high. It's, it's not a fun time to, uh, to be in the administration anywhere. But, but as for the topic of the day, the ongoing Russian assault against Ukraine, I, I think the, the reaction that – I talk with a lot of veterans, and I think the reaction that we all have more than any others is manifested in the, in the media quite a bit, is we're surprised – and somewhat puzzled by the lack of success um, of, by, of the Russian Army, of the Red Army right now. They've been portrayed in the past in in our time uh, when we were looking across the Iron Curtain at them as being you know 10 feet tall and bulletproof sort of thing, and they've proven to be something less than that today. But yet, in terms of military strength, the Russians em- employ or enjoy... Overwhelming superiority in almost every measure that counts in terms of manpower, weaponry, etc. Yet the, yet the Ruskies have embarrassed themselves somewhat. Uh, I've been asked a lot, like I said, about the, my take on the situation. I hang out with a lot of veterans, and that's about all we talk about. We'd all love to know what, why it's going so poorly, apparently, for the Red Army. And everyone seems to have an opinion about what we Americans should be doing. Um, I, guess, I guess I should say that, by all appearances, the Russian army seems to be on the move again and advancing in a very horrific way. And they've, I guess they've gotten over their stagnation when they were really, really vulnerable. But my answer to anybody who asks me those questions is, have faith in our nation to do what's right. But still, I have to say that I've been struggling to make sense of the actions, just like everybody else. The actions that we have taken or failed to take. The well, soldier in me—I I think most of them as being reactions. I—I uh, I, I don't think that's good at
0: all. Well, let's let, let me let's talk for a second about that because we certainly have some antecedents here. This is the third major Russian aggression within the last two decades. Um, yes, sir so so it's not like we haven't sort of walked down this road before um the first two uh in georgia and then uh in crimea um were spectacular russian successes uh crimea falls without a shot being fired uh the georgian army is wiped out in in you know what half a week or something like that um from your sense of things was there something different about Ukraine as this, this process was moving forward that, that gave some hint that they would be able to do so much better, uh, than those other two, um, areas or was this really is, is this really kind of a, a, uh, a military who done it? how is this possible? Well,
1: it's, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's kind of a head-scratcher for those of us who, you know, we've been taught for decades now to, cons- to regard the Russian army, with good reason, as being extraordinarily effective and professional in their ability to, to wage war, anyway. Not so great, maybe, on, on human rights, but, but fantastic as a war-fighting entity and yeah they went into crimea they went into georgia they did uh, exceedingly well i i i would guess and this is not a fully informed thought that that the crimea and georgia were weaker and that the populace was less resistance resistant to their advances um you know the the Russians have just gone into the eastern reaches of Ukraine and didn't really have too much difficulty there because there were they were there was partisans almost uh you could call it or occupied territories uh for almost uh, you could say that, so they went into there, that was okay, but the resistance that they met elsewhere uh was was quite fierce. And nobody seems to be able to explain to me why it is that their logistics were just so inadequate to the cause. Um, you know, they, we, say in the, we say in the military that amateurs talk tactics, professionals talk logistics, and understand all of that. And it seems to me that that was not the case with the Russian Army. They just stagnated there. Uh, vulnerable for all the world to see. So I, I, I don't have an answer for that.
0: Okay, well, and that's okay. Um, but we certainly have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose
2: University, 106.1 FM. The KALA website is your one-stop spot to find out more about your favorite radio station, submit a public service announcement, catch up on news about KALA, and listening to any of our three stations, 88.5, 1061, or The Stinger, is just a click away. Visit KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back to
0: ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of our show, referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Don Elder, retired U.S. Army colonel, and we're talking about perspectives on the war in Ukraine. Our history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. And Rick, since you are something of an authority on Russia, why don't you start us off?
3: And I do have uh, money that I can't spend. It's all Russian money,
4: <laughs> but uh, neither here nor there.
3: Don, uh, the, uh, uh, my graduate studies were in Russian politics and and uh, history What I see going on is is consistent with Russian history, particularly back to Catherine the Great. Um, But the different twist is uh, Putin, who is uh, basically, uh, I know it as, knew him as KGB back when. uh, uh, He is uh, really a crafty, crafty guy. Uh, The European press has identified the possibility that he is ill, that he's all puffy, he's on steroids, or whatever. But I have a suspicion that that uh, uh, his portrayal as being uh, dying or insane uh, is actually an offensive weapon. From the military standpoint, would you agree or disagree?
1: Oh, I would wholeheartedly agree. I I believe, as you do, as you just declared, that. Uh the Russians are famous for disinformation, and I think this is a a, a classic case of it. I, I really do is uh, if they can present the specter of a, um, uh, a dying Putin who wants to go down his history, potentially, as I see it, as the next Stalin, for heaven's sake. Um, he's unre- He would therefore be considered unrestrained in what it is that he actions he may decide to take even up to and including you know nuclear warfare just to achieve his aims because what else has he got to lose And it is an offensive weapon it's you know there's several different types of warfare we all know that there's psychological warfare there's economic warfare political you name it but this is classic psychological warfare disinformation i really believe
4: okay brett So Jay and Rick have been giving me grief about my um, Twitter habits as of late (laughs) and some of the um, open source intelligence that's available because so many people are taking pictures and uh, shooting video of this war happening in their backyard. And one of the things that's kind of floored me is you have footage of Russian vehicles whose tires seem to be suffering from dry rot um, and whose uh, rations are four or five years expired. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about all of the the behind-the-scenes work that goes into keeping something like a... Mobile uh, anti-aircraft gun, able to move around and work.
1: Well, the uh, as I recall, I, I commanded a tank battalion and a cavalry regiment in my time, and we. I, I remember reading somewhere or having some general tell me that uh, there was a ratio that we honored or tried to honor. Main, maintaining time versus operational time for the tanks that we operated, comparable, I guess, that uh, was minimum 10 to 1, 10 hours of maintenance for one hour of operation. Um, you can't always uh, uh, have that luxury, but in terms of keeping everything combat ready, um, yeah, you, you've got to a, a, – on those vehicles, you've got to change road wheels, you've got to change track, you've got to change track pads. I could go on and on, and talk about things that nobody would understand. But yes, it is uh, it is uh, a logistical. I said earlier, we talk logistics, uh, rations. You rotate rations. You don't hold on to them for set, for five years. You consume them as they about to expire, and you resupply in your stockpiles, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Is that I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Don, I'm going to kind of follow up on that. Um as I've been watching this and also, you know, scratching my head at at the lack of Russian success, I've also read a number of um articles that that seem to point out that the decision, the ultimate decision for for this particular um invasion happened very much in secret and very with a very tiny group of of um inner circle for for Putin be that you know and and what it made me think of as i read that article was some of the articles i've read about how hitler conducted the war um particularly as the war went on where his his inner circle got smaller and smaller and smaller generals found themselves on the outside looking in were not involved in the the conversations And so you ended up with a with what had been a extraordinarily potent uh, German army becoming increasingly less and less effective simply from a leadership standpoint. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit to us about the interface between civilian and military um, leaders and how that can affect the way uh, an army is capable of waging war.
1: I think that the parallels you you uh, draw here between Hitler and his his inner circle and Putin and his inner his inner circle. I can't claim to have any inside knowledge of all, of the Putin piece of it, but history has got lots of stories about Hitler, and I do think the parallels are valid. Uh, Hitler wasn't the first, nor will he be the last of despots, dictators that. Uh, are in power long enough that they start believing their own uh, uh, propaganda that how good they are and you know i think hitler's a great example he had great generals he had kesselring he had rommel he had guderian he had uh, you can name a hundred of them but they were all shut out the the most competent ones were shut out and he tended to banged by those who were his yes-men and kept telling him how great he was. I trust, I really believe that you've hit on something very, very valid, is that Putin disregarded those. Zhukov is not around anymore. I don't know that there's any stat, anybody of any stature uh, left in the Red Army to oppose or challenge Putin, or would dare do so, given his... Like Rick said, that the, his background in the KGB and the FSB follow on. I, I think it's valid. I do. Okay, Rick.
3: Yeah, Don. Uh, <clears throat> kind of uh, uh, switching oceans on the civilian and military uh, interface. Um, in tactics, uh, Ukraine wanted uh, basically uh, uh, air air support. Uh, basically, close off the skies. Uh, Poland offered uh, uh, aged M- uh, MiG 29s uh, to uh, uh, Ukraine, and the United States was going to backfill uh, with, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, modern American aircraft uh, for the Polish. Uh, and the, uh, you know, uh, I know that Blinken is a company man, and I'm pretty sure that. There was high-level discussion about this before it was uh, proposed. And then all of a sudden, uh, it got yanked, and I, I was wondering, was it uh, uh, was it canceled by the military, or was it canceled by uh, the Secretary of Defense? Uh, in other words, the civilian uh, secretary. You know what? Because that would that would to me would be a natural. Uh, equalizer, what what do you think happened there?
1: It would it would be uh, guesswork on my part, but I'd like to think it's an educated guess if you indulge me on that. But uh, I was I was appalled with by the way it all went public. If you recall, the uh, there was some uh, uh, discussion in public about the possibility of Mig 29s being transferred from Poland without detail from the Polish air force to the Ukraine to Ukraine. And it was a Sunday afternoon that uh, secretary of state Blinken actually uh, declared that it was, uh, was going to happen. As I recall, the proposal was that the MiG 29s would fly to Ramstein air force base in Germany. They would be repainted with uh, Ukrainian colors. There'd be some avionics and maybe some comms gear that we, be transferred out or shifted to something compatible with Ukrainian services. And then they'd fly away and they'd do their work in, in the skies over Ukraine, I guess. And then all of a sudden, 24 hours, 36 hours later, it's no, we're not going to do that. Uh, There's publicly, and you've seen it too publicly. There's uh, been uh, guesses as to why that was Some, some were, yeah, they, one is the there was a worry expressed by the civilian community uh, that uh, the civilians in authority, that is, in government, that uh, this would uh, because it was taking place at Ramstein Air Force Base, which is a NATO country base, that it would be considered justifiably as a involvement of NATO, and nobody wanted that for, for valid reasons and. Others were that the U.S. balked at the idea of transferring F-16s to uh, to Poland, another another uh, NATO country. I don't really understand that logic, but I'm not I'm not an Air Force guy either. Uh, so I I have heard from different sources that it was the Pentagon, and that's about all I can identify. The Pentagon that. Uh, raised Kane with the whole idea and got to by by one account got to President uh Biden and got the whole thing squashed. Uh quite an embarrassment I think once it's been announced by the Secretary of State and then pulled just uh, didn't didn't uh reveal great staff work on the part of our government at that time that was a that was a black eye
4: okay brett so one of the things that's been um astounding to me following from afar is the nearly complete mobilization of uh everyone in ukraine to a war footing you see um footage of people in parks uh, working together to put together Molotov cocktails, a bunch of uh, medieval uh, reenactor armors I know who are based out of Ukraine, converted their shops to weld hedgehogs. Um, And against this, we're seeing a bunch of Russian troops who are abandoning equipment um, in the field to the point that Ukrainian Farmers are hooking up their tractors and, and pulling back $4 million um, armored vehicles to their shed to use against the invaders. Can you talk to us a little bit about the role that morale and will plays um, that maybe looking purely at equipment and numbers wouldn't tell us?
1: Oh, boy. Yeah, that's – that's. Uh... That sort of involvement and that sort of commitment and dedication and resolve uh, is commonly referred to <laughs> as one of the combat multipliers. That uh, is kind of an intangible but very, very real uh, factor in warfighting capabilities. And with that collaboration, that cooperation, um, I've got to believe that that took the Russians by surprise. There's a lot of things, to that may account for it. Um, the, the Ukrainians have gotten a taste of this before, you'll recall. They've been invaded before by the Russians uh, in the eastern reaches. They uh, Crimea was part of Ukraine uh, once upon a time. It is no more. So I don't think there's any love lost between the Russians and Ukrainians, although the Russians, uh, I think erroneously, in And uh, Rick had talked to this. Uh, I think the Russians always thought Ukrainians were Russian or vice versa. Uh, I think the Russians think the Ukrainians are really theirs and don't understand why they'd be in opposition. But they've had a taste of this before. The other thing is the Ukrainians have had a taste of uh, what uh, democratic rule is like. They've had a taste of what freedoms they have. They have memories of what it, of how different it was when they were part of the Soviet Empire. Um, that's got to account for a lot of their resolve to saying never again. Uh, not as long as I'm alive, and I I can't imagine how powerful that is. And we've seen it manifested in how much how um, much the rest of the world has contributed to the effort. Uh, when they're viewing just the heroism and sacrifice and the resolve of these people, there's a whole lot that goes into it, but you, it's hard to overestimate the value militarily to that sort of dedication.
3: All right.
0: Um Don, I get the honor sort of of the the last lead up question, but we only have about two minutes to answer it, so I'm gonna put the, the clock on you here and, and then okay. I'll ask and then I'll ask my last one. Um and we can roll this over into the podcast segment for, for our listeners. Maybe you could go uh out to one of your uh, favorite podcast sites and find ROI there and and follow up on this. So my my question at the moment is It feels to me like this is the first major urban warfare situation that we've had really since World War II. Um, Afghanistan was not really an urban war. Um, Even the the Gulf War with with Iraq wasn't really an urban war. Um, Korea wasn't really an urban war. So is the fact that this is a different kind of theater also... Play into um, the the struggles the Russians have had is that you know nobody has really tried to to use modern warfare uh, waging techniques in this kind of an environment before, so we're kind of learning on the fly.
1: I, I think there's something to that. Um, the you know, historically, uh, NATO and the Russians when they were squared off before the Iron Curtain fell, it was all all the training we did, not all, but the bulk of the training we did, the bulk of the training they did, were to prepare ourselves for conflict in the open plains of, of uh, Central Europe and not in, within the cities. I think that the U.S. has done much better job of making the transition and in, in preparing for and waging war within cities for instance what you see today on the newscast you see tanks you see artillery you don't see infantry on the ground and in, a, in an urban environment you are risk you it's suicide to go into a city with tanks only you got to have you got to have infantry on the ground to keep the people with the molotov cocktails and the mines and the explosives from getting close enough to you that they're going to cause your tank damage. That's why I think you're seeing so much artillery bombardment because the one one response to the lack of our of infantry is just shelling the dickens out of everybody and, and ridding the threat the dismounted threat by, via that means so the tanks can go in. I think that's a deficiency on theirs. Of theirs that they don't have infantry in sufficient quantity to support their tanks.
0: All right, so we like to give our guests the last word on the show. So, Don, why do you think knowing about the military issues surrounding the war in Ukraine is relevant in today's world?
1: Ooh. Well, I think I think that something's that been... One thing I ponder a lot is the relevance of something that was written in 500 B.C. Now, Sun Tzu, Chinese... Uh, Chinaman general wrote the art of war and a lot of people are familiar with it, but he posited that there are principles that are inviolate in the waging of a war or actually in leading a business. And I, I think that it's relevant that we go back and look at those and see if we are honoring and not violating some of them that he, uh, he posited. For instance, um, we one of the one of the most important of the principles of war that he established was offensive and the idea is just one example no war has ever been won by anybody on the, in the in history by just being on the defense all the time at some point you have to go on offense and you have to make your adversary react to your movements and maneuvers and actions and fires rather than reacting to his only. you got to flip that around, and I, that, I think, is the most urgent need that we have today to changing the fortunes of the Ukrainian situation.
0: All right, well, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University,
2: 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant, ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2.
0: This concludes our 459th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker, our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kalis Theme, it was written and performed by Mark Zapsapital. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Don Elder, retired U.S. Army colonel, who talked with us about perspectives on the war in Ukraine. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. This is ROI, relevant or irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, "Hotsa Pula Nala, Peace, Reign, and Prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.